Anybody in here think that the, the devil is just an imaginary creature, something of myth or fable, or that he's just kind of a symbol of evil? No, we're in a real warfare. Amen? We're in a real... Uh, most anybody in here who's a true Christian, you fought the devil this week. Some of you fought the devil on the way to church. Some of you are fighting him right now in your mind. Um, I, there's been a verse in my spirit that I just haven't been able to shake. It's haunted me in a good way. And I've learned a long, long time ago, as a matter of fact, always, I've always preached what was moving me in my spirit, what God impressed my heart with. And I want to talk to you today about Satan's tricks. I want to talk to you about his favorite trick, because I believe he's got a favorite with Christians. How many of you want to know what it is? I believe he's got a favorite trick, a favorite weapon. Again, let me ask, how many of you want, some of you don't want to know what it is. But I'm going to read uh, Paul writing to the Corinthian church, 2 Corinthians 2.10, and he's talking about forgiveness, and I want you to see what he says about the devil and what you and I should know. He says, now, whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if indeed I have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Now look at verse 11. Lest Satan should take advantage of us. Did you catch that? For we are not ignorant of his devices, his schemes, his traps, his ways, how he attacks, his methodology, his strategies. We're not ignorant. Now, that's a man who had dealt with the devil since the moment he was saved. And this is not only revelation he's giving us from the Spirit of God, but he's talking from raw experience. I've learned, and now I'm no longer ignorant of Satan's schemes. Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it to our hearts, I pray in Jesus' name. Open our eyes. Help us to walk in the wisdom Paul knew. Help us to get this today in a way that we never forget it. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Tell your neighbor, no longer ignorant. <laughs> now, let me just tell you what this, th these two verses are talking about. The man that Paul is talking about uh, forgiving, even though Paul wasn't there, he forgave this man from a distance. You don't have to have somebody there to forgive them. They can be in another state and you can still forgive them in the presence of God. Amen? They can even be dead and you can forgive them. That's free. That's not in my notes. All right. But this man had offended the church and had really greatly grieved the Holy Spirit. Uh, he had, according to Paul, and Paul writes about it, been in a sinful relationship with his own stepmother. And this caused great offense. Paul says, listen, church, I want us to be very careful in the midst of this offense that Satan doesn't take advantage of us and gain a foothold in the church through unforgiveness. I want, to, want, to, want us to be very careful and watchful and don't let the devil capitalize on this because this man has caused an offense. Do you know that Jesus said, uh, it is impossible that offenses not come. 
So offenses are going to come to all of us. Some of you were offended this week by something somebody said or did. You were offended this week. Um, Offenses come all the time. You know why? Because humans are on the planet. And that's why offenses come. Uh, I've been offended kajillions of times in my life. And I'll be offended many more times before I go to heaven because people do things that offend, and I do things that offend, even if I don't know it sometimes. I can do things that offend. So he says, be careful that Satan, and he uses this phrase, takes advantage of us. Now, now the word take advantage is from a Greek word meaning to open a door to or, or to give ground away. To give ground away. The ground is talking about the spiritual ground in your life. To give ground up to the enemy. He said, I want you to be careful you don't give ground away. You don't let him uh, uh, kick the door open because you've already unlocked it. I want you to be careful. Another way this can read is lest we be cheated or outmaneuvered by Satan. So these verses let us know that Satan is a chess player. Satan is not... You know, a devil just holding a shotgun and shooting it and hoping something sticks. Just letting us know that there are stratagems. There are are plots and plans hatched in hell against the church that, that were thought through in Satan's wicked intellect, which is vast. He says, so I want you to be careful that his strategy of coming against you when you're offended and attacking you does not cause you to lose ground or be cheated from what God has for you. When we hold a grudge or become bitter or harbor long-standing anger towards somebody else. We're effectively opening the door of our soul to the enemy because that's the context here. Paul said, you got to forgive this guy. You got to forgive because we're not ignorant of Satan's schemes and his plots and his plans and, and his strategies. He wants to take advantage of you not forgiving. Paul said, he will take advantage if you let him. He is a shameless opportunist. Satan is always there. And we're not ignorant of his tricks in his toolbox. And we know that if we don't walk in wisdom, he will corner us, trap us, snare us into a situation where we lose ground. I don't want to lose ground in the enemy. I want to gain ground in the kingdom of God. Amen? I don't want to lose ground. I don't want to give up ground at all. So so Paul says, don't give the devil the opportunity to gain a strategic advantage over you on the battlefield of spiritual warfare. Don't give him the opportunity to get an advantage. Um, Wise up to his tactics. Uh, Be smart and discerning of his traps. Know the way he operates. Now, the principle of forgiveness and biblically handling offenses is a repeated thing throughout Scripture. So I'm going to tell you straight up. I have pastored for 38 years. And you know what I've seen? I've seen that the devil's number one most effective weapon against Christians is offenses. Number one, it's his favorite tool in the toolbox, in hell's toolbox, is offenses. Because so many times we can feel we're justified in being offended or holding a grudge or walking in some kind of a, 
with a chip on our shoulder towards another person. We're, we're justified in, in doing it. And it just seems the natural human thing to do, especially if you live in Texas when you think Texas vengeance is a good thing, right? But here's the deal. He says, don't give the op- devil an opportunity to get a strategic advantage over you because all the way through Scripture, the Bible's theme is that we need to practice forgiveness. We need to rightfully, rightly handle the offenses that are always going to come our way in church, out of church, at the office, at the home, in your marriage, with your kids, with your in-laws, with your outlaws. Offenses are going to come. They're going to happen. And as believers, we've got to keep in mind two things. I want everybody to get this. Watch this. We must always keep in mind two things. One, God wants to teach us to forgive and use the offense to mature us for his glory. Two, Satan, on the other hand, wants to take advantage of the offense and gain a foothold in our life. Amen. And he'll, he'll use the people that are closest to you to offend you the most. He'll use the people closest to you, your spouse, your kids, your parents, church members. He'll, he'll use the people closest to you to offend you if he can, if he, because he's seeking to get that advantage where he can put a wedge between you and another person and the barrier and the wall doesn't come down and he successfully divides. So, so uh, how do we avoid the second thing that happens every time we're offended? How can we avoid the devil taking advantage of us and gaining a strategic advantage on the battlefield that is spiritual? How can we, how can we avoid it and stay free? How many of you want to stay free? Now listen, I'm going to tell you something. The enemy is going to come at you with an offense. He's going to try to use an offense in your life. So here's how we slam the door shut on Satan so he does not get the upper hand. First, I want to give you three undeniable facts about a genuine Christian life. Are you ready? Three undeniable facts about a genuine Christian life. First, Satan is always looking for a chance to pounce. That's an undeniable fact of the Christian life. You say, well, I just try to avoid him, pastor. Well, go ahead all day long, try to avoid him. If you're saved, you've got a target on your chest and he's coming after you. And so you got to know that he's always ready to pounce. And I know this is not a jump up and shout message. It might be towards the end, but right now we're talking real church, real Christianity, not pie in the sky stuff. I want to tell you the Christian life It can be rugged, it can be tough, it can be challenging, it can be draining. Um, The Christian life is a battlefield. Am I lying? No, it's a battlefield. It's a battlefield. You're swimming upstream. The world's going this way and you're going this way. It's a battlefield. We're in a battle. Be not amazed, said Peter, at the fiery trial which has come to try you as though it were some strange thing happening to you. Paul the Apostle said, we're not battling against flesh and blood, but against personalities that are unseen. We are in a battle with principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. We're dealing with a real devil who has real demons at his command. And one of, I believe, his absolute favorite weapon against Christians is offenses. And we don't catch what he's trying to do 
and we don't handle them biblically. And so I want you to understand, Satan is always looking for a chance to pounce. 1 Peter 5, 8, he says, be careful. Everybody say, be careful. Watch out for attacks from Satan, your great enemy. He prowls around like a hungry, roaring lion, looking for some victim to tear apart. Now, he just told us the truth about the devil. The devil is a predatory being. He's a predatory creature. Who who is Peter writing to? He's writing to Christians. So who's the devil prowling around, slinking around, lurking around? Who's he always circling, looking for a chance to get in and attack and pounce? Christians. Amen. Believers. Everybody say me. Y'all are too solemn for me today. Give me an amen. All right. He says, I want you to look. He's walking around like a hungry, roaring lion. He's hungry. He's not well fed. He's hungry. And he's a roaring lion. And he, he is looking for a victim to tear apart. Peter said, I, I, I tried to think of a way to describe the devil. And here's the best way I know. He's a predatory, hungry lion prowling around, always on the hunt, always looking, circling churches that are winning souls, circling believers that are bearing fruit, circling marriages, circling households that the name of Christ is on, that the blood of Jesus is on. He's circling, looking, looking for an opening, looking for an opportunity to gain a strategic advantage. And and one of the ways he does it I think his favorite way is offenses. When I was living in East Texas, we lived on four acres of land, and we and we had um, we had this trail that led from the back of our house, this beautiful pathway that led from the back of the back door of our house all the way down a hill, this winding hill to this beautiful bubbling creek that flowed through our land. The deer would come and and drink from the water, and we could watch them from the window, and it was just this beautiful view, this beautiful creek, but because there was water, there was snakes. Amen? Lots of water moccasins. They were everywhere. So if you went out at night, you got a flashlight, a good one. (laughs) All right? Many, many lumens strong. And here's what you did not do. You didn't go down that trail at night with the flashlight pointed way down the way. No, you had it right here, right here. Thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You had it right here. And you, you, were, you, you had that light shining on where your next step was going because it didn't matter what you saw down the way. What mattered is, was there a snake right in front of you that you were about to step on? So you held it very, very close and, and literally that flashlight was a lamp to your feet and a light to your path and it got you safely to the creek and back. Now, see, that's, being, that's the kind of watchful Peter is talking about. That's the alertness he's talking about. That, that's how we ought to be watching for the attacks of the devil like that. Uh, I don't care about way down the road. Tell me, Lord, what's right in front of me? Because our Christian life is day by day. It's not week by week, month by month. Yesterday's gone. Tomorrow isn't here yet. We have today. So today, I'm to be watchful, careful, looking, scrutinizing, discerning. How's he trying to get at? Because he's prowling around. 
So when an offense comes, the believer should immediately be aware. Listen to me, that Satan is near the minute you're offended. God is there to give you the grace to forgive and do whatever you need to do to make it right and go on. But the devil is there hope, hoping to be able to capitalize on the offense and, 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 and take you down and cause you to lose ground and disconnect you and derail you and, and uh, short-circuit your walk with God. It goes down something like this. Somebody says something or does something, it hits you sideways. Happens all the time. Your feelings are hurt. Your negative emotions flood your soul. Anger begins to boil. You're seeing red. I mean, you're going to heaven. You're as saved as the day is long, but you are not feeling the Holy Ghost. And you're thinking, how could he? How could she? How could they? You're thinking about it. Peter warns us to know for certain that when that happens, Satan wants to take advantage of the opportunity and tempt you to react in the flesh instead of respond in the spirit. His strategy is to set in motion a chain reaction. Listen to me, I'm going to say that again. His strategy, the thinking of the devil, we're not ignorant of his schemes. I know how he operates. I've seen it over and over again. So here it is again. He wants to set in motion. He doesn't want to just take you down. He wants to set in motion a chain reaction, sort of like dominoes falling. You know how they fall? The first one falls, then the next, and then the next, until the whole row has toppled. Your whole household, the whole church, the whole company, the whole marriage is in Satan's crosshairs when you become offended. I've seen people allow an offense to affect them and, and guide their life and, and um, be what they're all about 30 years after the offense. It's ruled them. Now, the first domino is the offense itself. Rather than immediately forgiving and I've learned, when I get offended, I look at it like a rattlesnake in my soul. It's not staying long at all. Can I say that again? When I get offended, I look at it like a rattlesnake in my soul because I know that if I don't deal with it quickly, it's going to deal with me. Am I talking truth today? Come on, everybody. This is where we live. This is where we live. So what we do, rather than immediately handle it, forgive and, and move on, we nurse it. We nurse it by coddling it, by holding on to it. And as you nurse it, you begin to rehearse it. It goes over and over in your mind. You got, your, you got what happened on a continual loop in your head. And, and, and the rewind button is hit every single time by the devil. And he rewinds it. You go back to the moment. They said this, they said that. They did this, they did that. How could she? How could he? How could they? I can't believe they. I can't believe he. I can't believe she. I'm shocked. And we rehearse it. We, we coddle it like, like you coddle a baby. But then we rehearse it. And the scene or the memory of what hurt you is played 
continuously over and over in your head. You go back to the scene. You relive it. You rehash it. Uh, You dwell on it. You wake up thinking about it. You go to bed thinking about it. And the only place that an offense can go that has been nursed and rehearsed is to disperse it. We bring others into our offense because you know why? Offended people don't like being offended alone. No, 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 I'm having a pity party and I want a lot of people there. Have you ever noticed you have a pity party, Jesus doesn't show up? <laughs> Amen? But, but we want others in on this. You know what we want? We want people on our side. And, and so we nurse it, we rehearse it, and, and then if we don't deal with it, it has only one, way, one place to go, out. We disperse it. Some of you are thinking, I wish I'd stayed home today. No, no, because listen, this is the kind of message that will set you free. I don't want to see the devil get ground in any of your lives. I don't want to see him getting ground. He, he'll, he'll, listen, he'll invade your marriage this way. He'll, he'll invade your home this way. He'll invade your company this way. He'll invade your church this way. We bring others into the offense. Because we don't want to be offended alone. And after all, what they, he, she did is so terrible, others deserve to know. So they can pray about it. And you know what they do? They pick up the offense. This is what happens. When a friend goes to a friend and says, here's what he, she, they did, then the friend thinks, well, if I'm a real friend, I'll pick up their offense. And I'll share the offense with them. Because that's what a good friend should do and that's what love would do no it's not what love would do and that's not what a good friend would do a good friend will say well you need to forgive you need to handle this or it's going to eat you alive so so but but the trap is satan's scheme is his his tactic is to get us to pick up the offense and and join their side so an unhandled offense that is allowed to run its course is nursed and then rehearsed and then dispersed. Before you know it now, there, there's a club of people or a group of people who are offended about the same thing. You ever noticed you get a bunch of dogs in a backyard and one of them starts barking? Woo! Have you ever noticed they'll bark at nothing? Sometimes our dogs start barking. I look out there, what are you barking at? One of them one time was looking in a mirror and barking at himself. I said, hey, that's you. But he's a dog. He doesn't know that. But you have one dog will start barking in a backyard. And before long, another one chimes in and another one chimes in until all the dogs are barking. They don't know why. They're barking because one of them started barking. And same thing with an offense. One person gets offended. And suddenly there's a lot of people offended. But, but they don't even really fully know why. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. The Bible puts it this way, watch out. Everybody say, watch out. So here's the the warning again. Be on the watch. Be on the alert. Don't be stupid of Satan's tactics. Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many. Notice now it's gone from just you, just me, to many, hurting many, in their spiritual lives. 
An offense is like a cancer. You have a loved one that gets cancer. I've been there. And they don't get cancer alone. It immediately affects you. You carry it with them. You hurt with them. That's what cancer does. It affects all the loved ones, all the friends. And that's what a spiritual cancer of offense does. It affects everybody. Bitter root, bitter fruit. The root goes down, the fruit comes up. This is why it's so important. Deal with that rattlesnake immediately. Don't give an offense more than a 24-hour shelf life. Notice what he says. It causes deep trouble and hurts many in their spiritual life. Well, how does it hurt others? How does that happen? When they pick up the offense. When they pick it up. They, they, they become offended along with us. Now they're carrying it. And when they do, they also start dispersing it, which is how gossip starts and spreads. They start dispersing it. One man wrote, some people will believe anything if it's whispered to them. Because some people love gossip. Some people are like, everybody, hey, come on, don't look at me like you never heard this before. Some people love gossip. It's a juicy morsel. Give me some more morsels. I love gossip. I love hearing it. I love spreading it. I read about four preachers got together and they decided we're, we're going to be transparent with each other. So let, let's share our, our, our greatest weaknesses with each other. They said, all right, sounds good. First preacher opened up and said, I, I got to tell you, my weaknesses, I love an occasional cigar. Must be some cigar smokers in here. All right. The second one said, well, all right, since you said that, I'll tell you, I love golf so much. There have been a few times I've called in sick and lied, and on a Sunday I hit the greens instead of went to church. The third one said, well, since you're being honest, I'll tell you, I love to speed. And sometimes I'll get in my car and go find a long stretch of highway, and I'll break every speed limit known to man. The fourth one's listening. He says, well, my weakness is gossip, and I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> and this brings me to one of the key mistakes that Christians make with a secondhand Offense. That is, we're talking now, you've been affected by someone else's offense. And here's the second undeniable fact of the Christian life. Here it is, not bothering to get both sides. That's how the devil gets in. I want you to listen carefully to me. Not bothering to get both sides. I'm going to say it one more time. We don't bother when we hear something, and here comes our friend, he, she, they, did this, did that, said this, said that. We Listen, and we pick up the offense, and we don't bother to get the other side. We don't take the time and trouble to find out. Cindy and I were out this week and uh, just running some errands. I looked down, and I saw two brand-new, shiny quarters. These were brand-new. Man, I stopped everything and picked them up. You ever notice you won't pick up a penny anymore, but you'll still pick up a quarter? I picked them up. And you know what I did? First thing I did is I looked at the other side. Because I wanted to see, since they were brand new, what they had put on the quarter. So I, so I checked into the other side. But we don't tend to do that when we get offended. We, we don't find out the other side. 
anybody that's ever done marriage counseling learns that marriage counseling 101 is always get the other side. Because one spouse comes in and rails against the other very convincingly, very passionately, they this, they that. Can anybody say Depp and Heard? We saw, well, I didn't see it. I didn't watch a minute of it, but I did read about it. Wasn't that nasty? Wasn't that terrible? But there, there were two sides. Now watch this. Somebody will come in, they'll tell you all these things about their spouse. So that by the time they're done, you are convinced they married the devil. But then the other spouse comes in and you hear a whole different side of things. You ever notice that? Now every once in a while, the major offense is coming from one. They really are being abusive. They really are uh, serially unfaithful or whatever. And, that's, and it's true. And the first spouse is accurate. But nine times out of ten, there's another side. There's another side. You soon learn that the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. This is why the Bible teaches, he who answers a matter before he hears the facts, it's a folly and a shame to him. So he that answers a matter, responds to a matter, reacts to a matter, gets offended along with somebody else before finding out all the facts, it's a folly and a shame. The the dictionary uh, definition of gossip is this, casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people at times involving details that are not confirmed as being true. See, Satan's scheme, we're not ignorant of his devices, his scheme is to get us to react when we've heard only one side. Jesus said, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. Most important words in that passage right there are these. Go to him between you and him alone. Alone. Before you bring everybody else in, you go alone. Boy, it's quiet in here. It is so quiet in here. Everybody say amen. Help me here. Okay. Go to him alone. So that's not always possible, but more times than not, it is. Jesus said, go and get their side of things. Don't get your information from the grapevine and don't feed the grapevine with something you only have one side of. This presents or prevents Satan from cheating you and gaining the advantage. Because his desire is to divide. His desire is to split us apart. His tactic is to bring division because where there's division, the Spirit of God can't rest. How many of you want the Spirit of God moving in our house? Amen. In your home. Come on. In your business. Come on. So the most important thing is that as much as lies within us, we are to be at peace with all men. That's what it says. So we don't get my, I don't get my information from the grapevine. Somebody said, the church has a grapevine that Ernest and Julio Gallo would envy. If you don't know what I meant by that, that's probably a good thing. See, hearsay is just that. It's what you've heard someone say. But you weren't there. Do you know that experts tell us now that secondhand smoke can be more harmful than firsthand? Do you know that? 
So it is with secondhand hearsay. Somebody wisely said, beware of the half-truth. You may have gotten hold of the wrong half. <laughs> well, I sure have before. Solomon said, listen to this, Proverbs eighteen seventeen. Any story sounds true until someone tells the other side and sets the record straight. I can't tell you how many times, many, many times I've seen Christians, myself included, fall prey to hearing one side of an offense, one side of an issue, one side of an argument, and get cheated by the devil. Yeah, because he gains ground. Because it divides, and it may be dividing over something that's not even fully real. I've seen people make life-altering decisions based on just one side. All right? I've seen them leave churches, friendships, spouses, jobs, without ever bothering to hear the other side. You know what? Let me tell you something. When you go to the source, you'll discover that nine times out of ten, it's not what you thought. Or it was only half right. It's not what you thought. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to say that. Uh, no, no, here, here's what really happened. And you find that there was another side. And now there's peace. You gained your brother. You gained your sister. You kept your church. You kept your marriage. You kept your job. Amen. Amen, Pastor Jeff. Preach it. Amen. Amen. I, I'm not pointing. Listen, if I do this, I got three pointing at me. The thumb can't point my way. But when I do this, I got three pointing back at me. I, I got to walk in this just like you. I've been told things before and get all ruffled about it and all huffy about it and get offended because somebody that I think said this or that or did this or that only find out later that it wasn't quite that way at all. So I'm not going to make a major life-altering decision based on one side. The third undeniable fact of Christian life is the call to walk in the law of love. Now listen to what Jesus said. We all know this one. It's called the golden rule. But here it is out of the uh, English Revised Version. Do for others what you would want them to do for you. That's the law of love. How many of you have ever been the target or the subject of gossip? A, a negative report. Somebody said something about you wasn't true and it started spreading. Come on, let me see it again. How many of you remember how, how helpless you felt? How do I go and put out all these fires? I can't go out and put all, out all these fires. I can't do it. So here's the deal. Christians are called to walk in the law of love. What, do for others what you would want them to do for you. Put yourself in the sandals of the person, persons, company, or church being talked about. Put yourself in their shoes. Treat them the way that you would want to be treated if it were you. Amen? Would you want to be given the benefit of the doubt? Tell the truth. Would you want the chance to respond to what's being said? Would you want the best believed of you? We all would. We all would. Amen? We all would. That's how we're to treat others. So, listen, Satan 
is walking around. And he said, well, why are you preaching this? Because I preach this at least once a year. I, I don't repeat very many messages, but I do repeat this one. Because this is Satan's greatest weapon against church folks. Get offended. You get offended. Well, I'm not going to go where they're going. I'm not going to attend where they're attending. I'm not going to go sit under him anymore because I heard. Or I'm not going to go because I heard that those elders or even a spouse can think evil of their spouse and not ever ask them, is this what you meant to do or say or is this what you were thinking? Am I misreading you or am I reading you right? Satan loves no communication so he can get in and gain an advantage and take ground away and victory away. I don't want to give the devil one square inch. Matter of fact, I want to kick him out. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together, can we? How many of you know, Pastor Jeff, that was kind of hard to hear because we're all guilty, but uh, I'm glad I heard it. Come on. Because, <sighs> quick story, won't take long at all. I was preaching in a park one time. This was years ago. We had brought a band, and we just set up in this public park, and we were going to play some Christian music, and that I was the preacher to preach the gospel. And I was going to do it. And so they're set, the band is setting up, so I decided to wander around the park, kind of look at who I was about to talk to, get the feel for the place. And this old man, older gentleman, walks up to me, and he says, can I buy you a snow cone? Well, hey, never ask me that, because you're always going to get a yes. And so I said, sure. So he goes and gets me a rainbow snow cone, brought it to me. I'm thinking, what's he up to? He said, what are they doing over there? I said, well, we're a church group, and, and uh, we're going to just share Jesus with these people in the park. He said, oh. Now, all of a sudden, I can feel myself. I've crossed over a line. As soon as I said that, he says, I used to be in church. I said, really? I mean, I'll never forget. His name was Joe. Never forget him. Joe. Hey, Joe. Joe. I said, well, Joe, what happened? He said, well, me and that preacher, we had a disagreement, and it blew up into an argument and ended up going outside and going to fisticuffs. I said, really? Well, he's no pastor anymore. And I said, but, but in my brain, because I'm this way, I'm redemptive. So I was thinking, well, Maybe this is, you know, like a divine encounter. And I can take Joe over to get with this preacher. And maybe we can do some healing. That's what I'm thinking. So I said, well, Joe, where is he? I don't know. Well, where did this happen? Well, what happened here in Dallas? I said, well, how long since you've seen him? He said, I haven't seen him in 18 years. Are you telling me that's when this happened? 18 years ago. Watch this. An offense cheated him. Cheated him. Rob.
stopped him blind. 18 years, he could have been bearing fruit for the kingdom of God. And he was cheated. That's why I preach these things. I don't want you cheated. I want you to be smart. I want you to be smart. Well, I don't want to forgive. I don't feel like forgiving. They don't deserve my forgiveness. You're right on all those. I've never forgiven when I felt like it. I never had some overwhelming Holy Ghost emotion to forgive. No, it was always I forgive. But I got to get the rattlesnake out. I will not leave the rattlesnake in my soul a day. I will not. No, 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 no. Because ain't nobody, bad English, good preaching, ain't nobody worth my future in God. Nobody. Am I right? Is this true? This is true. Let's lift our hands to the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you as a church body. How we need to be smart. How we need to guard against the enemy of our soul. Who circles around looking for a chance to pounce. Father, we're all subject to being offended. Some of us will be offended before the day is over. And Lord, we've got to forgive. We've got to quickly obey scripture and submit to God so that the rattlesnake is kicked out immediately and has no time to bite us. Now can you pray with me church and say, Lord, I give to you every and any offense that has come my way. Any grudge, any unforgiveness, any chip on my shoulder I've had towards anybody forgive me Lord as I forgive them I forgive them because you said to and because I want to stay free I forgive I forgive I want you to take a minute and listen to the Lord in your heart. Let him say you need to bring this person, that person, this event, that event to me and let me touch it right now and let me lift it off of you. That X that still harasses you. That brother or sister that hurt you and never repented wouldn't even admit it you got to bring it to the Lord and say I forgive like Paul forgave from a distance say with me Lord remove the rattlesnake of offense from my soul in Jesus name amen give the Lord a hand of praise today come on everyone Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. How many of you needed this today?